Hope everybody is doing well. I've got some amazing guests that will be joining me in a matter of a minute or two. And I've also got some folks that are watching online already. So I saw that Marcella has already chimed in and he is from Team Live, meaning that he is watching live as we are speaking. And he is saying hello from Atlanta, Georgia. So I definitely appreciate him watching and hopefully he's having a well, I can't say he's having better weather because we're in the middle of a heat wave right here in Durham, North Carolina. And since he's in Atlanta, I'm sure that he's in the middle of a heat wave as well. I'm going to have to find out how the weather is going, where Joni's at, and also where Joseph is. I know that on this Saturday, when I'm going to hit the big 6-1, I will be at the Eno Festival. Since the Eno Festival is a festival that goes on regularly, it celebrates the environment, it celebrates a number of other things, and it is one of our state parks here in this area. So uh, there have been a couple of times, because I've been doing it for multiple decades, that there has been mild weather, but usually it's around the 4th of July weekend. As a matter of fact, it's always around the 4th of July weekend. So, you know, there have been some times that it is blisteringly hot. So I am glad that this time around on my birthday, they've got me in the Grove stage. So I'll be emceeing from the Grove stage. And that is just what it sounds like. It's the stage that is out there among some trees and some other things along those lines. So it'll be great to be out there and enjoying that uh, weather, that good music, because they always have amazing music, as well as some great vendors. As a matter of fact, uh, last week we interviewed one of the artists that will be out there, because that is a character artist that is out there on a regular basis. So it was great having that conversation with that character artist who I have known for a long time, and they were sharing how they enjoy doing that event, even though it is hot out there, even for the character artists. And I think that they're usually placed on the river stage. Haven't seen them dip their feet in the river as of yet and the stage that I have had in the past is definitely one that is blistering. It's called the Meadow Stage, but you know, there's always good food. That's one of the things. There's always a hospitality area and all along those areas. So it is always good to have those hospitality things that you can enjoy and that you can have some fun with and all in that space. So I know that I'll be enjoying some of that while I'm out there and seeing some of the other things that are going on as well. But I've got a friend on the show that has been on the show before, and actually I've got a few friends that are here, and I'm looking forward to some great conversations with all of these amazing people in a matter of a minute or two. But I'm going to start off with a musician friend who unfortunately let me know about some sad news recently as well, that being somebody that has connected us together, has passed on and all in that space. But still, Joni and uh, myself were definitely Pleased to know Ralph. Ralph was a true legend in the music community and all along those lines. And he has connected a lot of people together. But I'm sure that he'll be doing a lot of that connecting, even up in Heaven's Gates and all in that space. But, Joni, I was definitely glad to have you come and join us again. Like I said, I was uh, surprised to hear that news about Ralph because we had been in correspondence about getting you on for a, another time for a while. So I did have to acknowledge his passing, but also the fact that he was an amazing individual. Didn't know him that long, but that time that I got to know him, I know that he was a fan of jazz, a fan of a lot of other musical forms and all in that space. And from what I could tell, was a truly amazing individual. Oh, Mark, thanks for saying that. Um, Ralph, Re Ralph Lampkin, um, I've known him for over 40 years and he really blessed my life. Um, he he was always in your corner, you know? He's one of those people that was just always your champion. Yeah. And one of the few people I think that really understood that 
be, me being a jazz artist and I kind of cross over into cabaret and pop and other forms of music, it's all the same, you know? It's really all the same um, because good music is just good music. I think somebody like Duke Ellington might've said that. Mm -hmm. But it's so true. And uh, everybody in the community is going to miss Ralph greatly. He helped us all so much promote our music and our art. And uh, everybody loved him and he loved everyone. Yeah, there's no doubt about that and everything. How important do you think it is to have a champion in your life like a Ralph or something like that? Because I sometimes think that we don't realize the importance of having champions and people that are championing our cause and champion what we are about, whether we are a creative, an entrepreneur, or whatever that field may be. So how important do you think it is for us to have those kind of champions? You know, sometimes I think we don't even realize it because we're so busy with our lives. We're so busy involved in what we, we are doing as an individual. But to have a champion, to have someone always egging you on, always supporting you, and uh, not only that, but encouraging you to do better than you even thought you could do yourself. I think that's what it is, really. Things that maybe you didn't even think about. You thought, well, I don't know if I can do that. And then Ralph would say, well, sure you can. You can do that. I know you can. Um, same thing is true of, of my husband, of Sparrow. He's a, he's my uh, constant champion because he's always uh, encouraging me to uh, make new to, to conquer new horizons, you know, to conquer new things in in my life and in my music. So don't you think that's what it's all about, having somebody in your corner? Oh, no you know? doubt about that. It's very important to have somebody in your corner. And if you have yeah. multiple people in your corner, that's even better and everything. For those that have uh, new to your music and new to your life and everything, and I know that a lot of folks there in the Northeast are not because you've definitely been doing a lot of work and everything. But if you'll just share a little bit about your background for our international audience, for those that may not be as familiar with yourself as I wish everybody was. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, well, uh, my name is Joni Pilato, as you know and can see, and that Mark has introduced me. Um, I have been co the co-owner of Southport Records with my husband Sparrow uh, since 19, let's just say 1978-79. He started the label before I did with his own first record. And we've recorded, um, gee, I would say, well, my record, my new record is Joni Pilato, Accidental Melody, and it's number 154. So we've got you know, over 150 recordings in our Southport Records catalog, which I would say uh, mostly are representative of Chicago jazz artists and great musicians here in Chicago, like uh, George Freeman and Vaughn Freeman and Chico Freeman, all of the Freeman family, who I think most of the world knows about the Freemans. Um, and, you know, people our friends and great musicians like the, the late Willie Pickens and King Fleming, who I was fortunate enough to record with both of them. And, uh, and a lot of new up and coming artists, um, a lot of singers, Josie Falbo recently recorded uh, on our label and, and 
Ralph was a, a definitely a champion of Josie's, as are we. Um, so it's been a real blessing to to call all these musicians friends and to have the opportunity to have a record label that we can try to promote their music the best we can to a to a world audience. Yeah, definitely recording and sending stuff to that world audience and everything. I know the last time I had you on, and I'm gonna bring in a couple of the other guests, including one that you have already met and all along those lines. But okay. um, how important do you think it is for us to have um, connection to music? Because you know the pandemic has been going on. A lot of people turn to music. They turn to sound as part of the healing process. It sounds like we are definitely out of the pandemic. I think we're in the endemic stage and all in that space and more performers are getting out and doing actual performances and gigs. I just mentioned that I'll be at the you know festival for the second year in a row because we were actually live and in person last year as well. But how? what is your thoughts about the importance of music as a healing tool? Well, Mark, I think during during the time of the pandemic, especially in the beginning, um, you couldn't even see your family, you know, um, a friend of mine, um, in Cincinnati, Ohio, her mother was in a nursing home and she couldn't even see her mom, you know? And, uh, I think that music is that, that thread that bonds us all together, whether it's a, a favorite song or of, or of a famous artist that might be on your playlist or that you pop into your CD player. It, it's comforting. I think music is comforting to people. And it also helps people realize their own creativity. When you hear music, when you hear a song, when you hear a lyric, it takes your mind to another place. And I think during the pandemic, a lot of people turned to music to help them cope and get through that period. And now, where we're at now, oh my gosh, I mean, I think people can't wait to get out and experience live music and be in a group of like-minded people that are enjoying a concert like you're going to on your birthday weekend. Happy birthday, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, you know, the same is true for sports. Um, people couldn't wait to get, I'm, I'm in Chicago. They couldn't wait to go to a, a Cubs game at Wrigley Field, um, which is close near where I live um, on the north side. But, uh, you know, I, I really think that, that being together again is something that we all need on so many levels. I wrote a song about it uh, on this record called Apart. Right in the beginning of the pandemic, um, in February of 2020, right? Uh, nobody knew what was going to happen. We were all sort of mm, innocent, yet um, alarmed and cautious and afraid. Um, so, so the song Apart is all about uh, we're apart, but not alone, and we are part of each other. And take the time to say, I love you and I care. That's yeah, so no good. doubt about that. 
you know, I, I think, you know, sometimes I, I think it's easy for me as a, not easy, but it's, it's a different thing for me as an artist to write a lyric uh, about something so serious, um, something so important. Uh, it's different when you're, when you're being creative and you're writing. And then you go back and think, well, am I doing that in my life? Am I picking up the phone enough at all and calling my friends and my family as often as I should? It's, it's certainly something that I've, I've kind of learned from writing this music to consider what's really important in life. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like I said, and he's done some work in the music field as well. As a matter of fact, I think he's got a tribute to Billy Idol of all folks. I'm going to bring in Joseph Leonard and he can share some stories about what he's got going on in the musical lane as well as the spy thriller that he's wrote and also how he's helping a number of folks to write their own work and all in that space. So glad to have you here, Joseph. You're also there in the Midwest. Ironically, I am a Durham native and have been a, a Durham resident for the vast majority of my 61 years in life and everything, even though I've spent some time briefly in Boca Raton, Florida, and I had four and a half years in Milwaukee when I went to school at Marquette. So I do know a little bit about that Midwest lifestyle and all in that space. But you're over there in Detroit. Joni's over there in uh, the Chicago area. So share a little bit about your journey as well. Yeah, well, first I've got to ask you a personal question, Mark. What is your relation to Rex Lee over there at Pod TV? Rex and me uh, know each other, but I have no relationship to him, to him whatsoever. We're not related family members, but I do know his thoughts. I know some of his thoughts are around cybersecurity and some of the things that he does. And he does have some shows here on the network, but we have yeah. no family relatives. As a matter of fact, that's a joke that goes on with my boss at Haytack, because her name is Angela Lee, and we are not related at all either. Her, uh, her uh, father was actually the first African-American mayor of um chapel hill where unc is at all in that space so there are a number of leaves that are scattered around as a matter of fact there is a greg lee who is a sound man and i have no relation to him as yeah, well so there are so, a number of us floating around so that's a hiring requirement you have to if i change my last name to lee i could get a job there maybe huh <laughs> <laughs> maybe and i was gonna joke uh is rex middle name luther oh no never mind that would be lex luther lee right but yeah. um bum, right because <laughs> we got to keep a sense of humor and of course the audience didn't hear uh but i was did the obligatory Joni loves chachi joke in the green room of course right <laughs> i can never pass a bad pun even though i know she's heard it a bazillion times and probably fed up to hear, hear yeah. it, but, but and yeah next i would sing happy birthday but i can't afford the right fee understood well tell yeah. me uh, tell me mr leonard about this uh thing that you did that was tied to billy idol because i saw some of the things that you put there and i was going like wait a minute i remember billy idol that was a serious rocker person so i'm trying to yeah. figure out what that yeah. tie is that you did and all along those lines yeah well before i mention billy idol i want to uh, give a shout out to my father, R.I.P., uh, Thaddeus M. Leonard, Ted Leonard Jr. It's where I got my creative gene from, and I dabbled in music in the late 70s, early 80s, but then kind of shifted my focus 
to books. And uh, so I got my creative writing gene from him, and I have a tribute page to him at terrorstrikes.info slash the polka kings, you know, all run together, because he and uh, my grandfather on his side all had polka bands, and you can still find Ted Letter Jr. and the Polka King vinyl albums or 45 RPMs for those who remember what those are although hey they're making a comeback right so so there's that but yeah Billy Idol uh I like to say Billy Idol affirmed my creative writing cred and I say that because not that I've spoken with him directly <laughs> but at terrorstrikes.info slash Billy Idol again all run together I have uh, there, what I called the Adventures of Detective Idol. I spelled it I-D-L-E. And what that's about is CJOM, a Windsor, Canada, Ontario station, which is, of course, across the river from us here in Detroit, had a contest where you wrote a radio play introduction about or reimagining what a song was about. And I had heard Billy Idol's description of what brought that about. It was an old 50s black and white horror film where some doctor, evil doctor was taking people's faces off. So hence, Eyes Without a Face became one of his hits. So that was the Contest Week's song. So I wrote, reimagined it to be The Adventures of Detective Idol wrote that, won that week's contest. And to me, that was you know, certainly a big deal because, again, I mean, it was really the first outside my circle major appreciation for my work and that my work would be worthy of others to see. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely hear what you're saying. As you were mentioning polka, ironically, there is a polka band here in Durham that is actually quite popular and has definitely got some following and all along those lines. And I was actually pleasantly surprised when I first discovered that band and heard them play. And they definitely have that raucous sound and they have performed a number of times at our annual street festival, which is actually in September called Centerfest. But I was wondering to both of you what you feel the appeal is of polka and some of the uh, music of different ethnicities. Oh, it's a, it's a great movement. I mean, it's great dance, right? The polka, right? It, it's good uh, uh, exercise. It, it, it's good fun. It's good it for is. the respiratory system to get out there and dance and let things loose. Because again, like I was joking before, uh, we all need minor escapes on occasion from the seriousness of everything that goes on around us. But yeah, so I invite you, Mark, to check out terrorstrikes.info slash the polka kings. And there you can hear uh, my father's band, Our Little Polish Genie song on the website. So if you like polka, please check out that page uh, <laughs> dedicated to him and hear that tune. But the other thing too, is Joni had mentioned about reaching out. And that's an important thing. Uh, My Terror Strikes Coming Soon to a City Near You book has a major suicide prevention sub-threat. Because indeed, and I had a press release uh, 
after the book came out about that because during the Wuhan hysteria lockdowns, suicides in all categories soared through the roof. So yes, you may not always see the signs, uh, reach out to people, just ask how they're doing. Uh, do they need to talk about anything? You're there for them. You don't know a life you might save. Like I'm a big hockey fan. I used to play hockey during the NHL season. Some of the out of town games, there's a uh, PSA called Embrace the Awkward. And it's a bunch of people standing there, you know, hemming and hawing and trying to come up with the words to say. And that's the whole point. Embrace the awkwardness of the situation. Somebody you know is acting a little off, a little different. Embrace that awkward. You might actually save a life. Yeah, and along those same lines of saving a life, I was going to bring in a, another guest that talks about something that is very important in society and everything. And while I'm bringing in Dr. Eifland, who talks a lot about food addiction and health and all along those lines. And he's probably been listening to a number of the things that we've been talking about. Uh, Joni, have you done any music? I know that a lot of your music has been jazz oriented, but have you done anything that has included the polka and all along those lines? I was wondering whether you've included polka or any of the other sounds, whether that's Polish or German or other sounds into your own music. Oh, well, um, hello, doctor. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, uh, now it's going to get confusing. A Joan and a Joni. Right? <laughs> you did I've, that on purpose, Mark, didn't you? Right. But anyway, sorry, Joni, didn't mean no, to interrupt no, you. No, no. I, you know, uh, my, my parents, uh, I grew up with a lot of music. My father played violin. My mother played piano and composed. She wrote a beautiful song that I recorded many years ago, and I've never released it, called Gypsy Love. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking that I really need to release that song. Um, you know, the violin, it's beautiful, the mandolin, all the, it's like world music, but it's a gypsy song. Um, and as far as polka goes, I did sing with the Glenn Miller band way back when I was first starting my career in uh, 19, oh boy, 1978, something like that. And of course, Joseph, we did the Pennsylvania polka, <laughs> right? You have to do that one for sure. That makes a lot of sense and everything. Uh, Joan's there, and I've got two other guests I'm going to get to as well. Definitely share uh, but your thoughts about the conversation. A lot of it has been dealing today with health and the importance of music in that health journey, but you also talk a lot, and I've had you before on as well, about food addiction. And unfortunately, a lot of times we are eating very bad foods out there. I know that I'm guilty. I was yesterday went and got some whiting that had some uh, fries and um Definitely had some other dishes from one of our local uh, restaurants. So that wasn't too bad in the health space. I think I also had some fried okra with that as well. So that probably wasn't all that healthy. But I know that I've also stopped way too often at the fast food restaurants, be that Kentucky Fried Chicken, be that a number of the other ones. And we know that that can get you in all kinds of trouble in terms of health and everything. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, Joan. And I know that I can do better with my nutrition and some of those things that are going on, because as you found, a lot of those things have sugar and other things that can be addictive. Well, Mark, um, 
the country, the U.S. is now eating 73% of its calories in processed foods. So you have a lot of company. Um, it's just, it's gotten worse and worse over the years. We know that when the tobacco industry came into processed foods in the mid-1980s, tobacco companies bought Kraft, Nabisco, and General Foods in three short years. And all you have to do to understand what's happened to our country since then is ask yourself, why would executives who make their money from addiction, and it's a particular business model where you hide addictive substances in seemingly innocent products and then create a lot of delusion around it, like cigarettes. Why would that kind of a business executive want to get into processed foods? And boom, you know, the light bulb just comes on. So now we have, we are a country that is saddled with intense cravings and cravings that override rational thought. And then the part of the business model is that you make the substances very easy to get, very cheap. And so the cravings are more likely to win. You know, if the craving is for something that's uh, two hours away and costs a thousand dollars, maybe rational thought is going to win that battle. But when the cravings are calling you just to turn into that fast food place and spend a dollar on a dollar meal, which is gonna generate cravings for the rest of the evening, then you're very, very likely to give in to the cravings. So Mark, that is not your fault. Well, I'm glad to know it's not my fault. Glad to know there are other people that are to blame for that as no, well. No, no, no. Everything is Mark's fault. Oh, it was, I'm glad my fault. I'm glad to know who's the uh, troublemaker at this particular dinner party. But I'm going to bring in Suzanne, who's going to give us some information about history and all along those lines, because I am also a fascinated person by history and the notion of history. And I know that Suzanne Munson has done some things about even our uh, founding fathers and all in that space. And definitely it looks like uh, there was even a school for statesmen at one point or another, and I didn't know that. And I would also love to know, since I'm down here in North Carolina, of course, Thomas Jefferson had some roots in Virginia, just up the road and everything, what you think his thoughts would be about the way government is going now. And last but not least, there is a notion. I know what the notion is musically, because it is something that I've heard about musically wise, but I don't know that it's the same notion politically. But you talk about something, Susan, called the power of one. Bootsy Collins also talks about the power of one, and I think he's talking about it from a musical standpoint because he even has a song about it and a number of other things and all along those lines. But I'm not thinking that that is the same power of one that you are talking about. So I'd love to hear that difference of that power of one versus the musical power of one. And I'm sure even Joni has heard the power of one from a musical standpoint. Right. I um, After I retired from the office world, I realized that, that I had, I could finally write the book that I've been wanting to write. And that was about Thomas Jefferson's wonderful mentor, George With. And uh, when I got into his life, uh, I thought, I, I really didn't know that much about him until I uh, read about his death. He's the only signer of the Declaration of Independence to be murdered. And that's a separate story. We can get into that later. But um, 
anyway, the power of, we all know the power of one individual for evil, you know, just look at Putin right now and some others we could name. Um, and they're the ones who, who are in the history books, by and large, the, the warlords, and the generals and so on. Um, you know, some fight for good, but some don't. And um, so I'd, I'd realized that this one individual who's called the forgotten founding father now, because very few people outside of a couple of schools in Virginia named for George With know about him. But um, anyway, he was probably the most influential teacher in the history of the United States. And uh, he was the first law professor in the first law school at William and Mary in Williamsburg. And he could have been content just to teach his students the law. And that's all they wanted to know. They wanted to, you know, get a law degree and get out and make money. <laughs> but he had a captive audience with his students. And um, he taught them not only the law, American law, um, knew the new laws of this new country. They were not taught anywhere else. Uh, and they, before that, it was just English law. But he taught them, uh, he uh, forced them to have a, like a liberal arts degree in the humanities so they would be well-rounded individuals. And then he said, you know, you've got to do more than just be professional men. They're all men. Then. Um, you know, you need to go out and lead the country. And so he educated about 200 of America's first leaders during his 10 years at that school. Uh, Thomas Jefferson... Um, Chief Justice John Marshall, privately Henry Clay, and some others. And um, and he taught them that it would be better to cut off a hand than to dip your hand into the public till for greed and, you know, for um, graft. And so they were an, an unusually uh, well-educated, well-motivated group of people that got this country started, many of them influenced by George With or changed by him uh, as students. So um, so the book, may, uh, basically, this it's called um, Jefferson's Godfather, the, uh, the Man Behind the Man. He gave um, and lay out a case that his mind is behind the three great accomplishments that Jefferson wanted on his tombstone author of the Declaration of Independence, author of America's First Religious Freedom Law, and father of the University of Virginia. His, his, his influence is behind all those. But um, back to your other question about what would the founding fathers say uh, about our government today? Uh, I think they would agree with Robin Williams, the comic, mm -hmm. that congressmen should wear um, sponsor jackets NASCAR jacket so we can see who's sponsoring them. Mm. And, uh, uh, so I give I give talks on the legacies of, of these two men, Jefferson and With, and I always end them with a bunch of bad jokes about politicians. Jokes about politicians, they probably deserve it. But as you were saying that, two things crossed my mind. One, you talked about this godfather that was very much about the importance of uh, a liberal education or a liberal arts education and a lot of that is getting the attack these days and everything because a lot of people are not wanting music they're not wanting literary conversations they're not wanting a number of other things in that 
conversation. Some of that is under the guise of attacks under critical thinking and other things along those lines. But I just wonder your thoughts about that, because it sounds to me like we're going opposite the direction of where the founding fathers wanted us to go in terms of education, even though there's some that might have thought that they were elitist in some degree and everything. But those that were educated, it sounds like they want to have that solid liberal arts background to help with their critical thinking. And then last but not least, um, I was on another show recently and the co-panelist that was on that show had brought up the fact that apparently Jefferson, and maybe he got this from his godfather, had the notion that we should readapt the constitution. I think he said every 20 years or something along those lines. So is that something that you had heard as well? And is there some merit to that thought? Well, he, he did call for a revolution every now and then, but I think the revolution that he would want would be not of the bloody sort, but a revolution of integrity. That yeah. we, we, we need to totally <laughs> cleanse our political system as best we can. But back to the liberal arts education, um, the best class I ever had in my life was a, um, the history of philosophy. And um, back in those days, of course, they didn't have radio, TV, phones, all that. All they had were their books. And so they would sit around and for entertainment after dinner, they would sit around by the fire and they would talk philosophy. Mm -hmm. And that philosophy um, from John Locke, particularly, but the Enlightenment philosophers in uh, England, um, that philosophy made its way directly into the Declaration of Independence and into the founding of this country. And if they if the if our founding fathers hadn't studied classical Greek uh, literature, the uh, Greek democracy and the Roman Republic, which didn't last too long because the dictators ruined that. But they at least studied uh, what a democracy was like, what a republic was like. They had studied that. What if they hadn't studied that? They would have no clue about good ideas for government. So, um, yeah, the uh, liberal arts education was was fundamental to the founding of all the good things that were part of the founding of this country. Yeah, the, issue, the issue here is modern education versus education. That a good, broad, liberal arts encompassing of everything from actual arts and sciences and business and economics, good sound, the core R's like reading, writing, arithmetic, history, those sorts of things that we used to teach are now replaced by radicalism, raunch, and racism through CRT. You know, I, I think, you know, I've been listening to what everyone's been saying. And, and one thing you mentioned, um, Suzanne, was about integrity. Uh, that's so important and exactly what you're saying too, Joseph. But um, <laughs> it's funny. I'll go back to what Dr. Jones said about um, food <laughs> um, and choices. Um, so many things are about choices. And when you have a media that's putting everything on you from, from the, the pundits, the political pundits and all, all the things they're saying to commercials that are making all the foods, the processed foods you can't resist. And then you have prescription drugs. Now mm -hmm. there's 
jingles that they want you to sing along about prescription drugs. I, to me, that's just horrific. I think it's horrible. I think that the, the issue of integrity in this field is spot on. So we know that the research that processed foods act on the body much more like drugs than like food, it's there. And it's been there since the late 1990s. So over 25 years of great research showing the damage that processed foods do in terms of creating cravings. And now we have a whole cascade of research showing the relationship of processed foods to all the diet-related diseases. It's not then- diet-related diseases, it's processed foods. But the integrity, and I'm glad you brought up the media, the integrity of the media to bring this research to the public is just not there. You're, yeah. So the processed food industry is out of integrity. The medical industry is profiting from this because rather than get the food cleaned up, oh, it's much more profitable just to prescribe for a lifetime and uh, then our government is standing by and letting this happen. Yeah, one, one, the one thing, thing begets the next. Yeah, this year. the old saying, follow the money, whether it mm-hmm. be business, politics, everything, like you were saying about the NASCAR jackets for our politicians. Mm-hmm. Yes. Follow the money. Now, Dr. I Jill, have, a, I have an MBA you. way back in my background, and it's the most valuable degree for understanding the nutrition dynamics in this country. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jonah, I want to take that conversation about the um, economics of food, but I also want to bring in the last guest for today, that being Dr. Eric Hassoppel, and all along those lines, and he's actually got a book that talks about profit with presence, the 12 pillars of mindful leadership. So I'm sure he's been listening in the background and thoughts about some of the things that we've been talking about and all along those lines, but you definitely are trying to get this mindful business movement. So I guess they're trying to make sure that we are having mindful leadership. And it sounds to me that that's kind of what the leadership that the uh, founding fathers wanted to have was a mindful leadership. But Dr. Halsapel, uh, if you've been listening, some of your thoughts yeah. and if Hello. you want to share some of the yeah. living in the gap stuff that you've got going on. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm quite intrigued by all the different conversations and uh, None of it's inconsistent with my message, you know, to be, you know, I love capitalism, but it doesn't work without democracy and without consciousness, you know, that uh, people yeah. having a, a conscious and having some ethics and and there being some rules, because otherwise the history will tell us I have an economics degree, PhD, that I got years ago, uh, not practicing that, but you learned, you know, just a few people end up all the money if you don't have some rules. No, I can definitely see that's that. That's kind of the game that's going on. Yeah. But another game that's going on is the minutes of deadly system. My undergrad Another thing that is going on as well, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, Dr. Halsapa, but everybody's thoughts about it is this notion of stress and all along those lines. Because I know that I've had the pleasure of talking to a number of people here on this show as well as other shows on Bob TV, and a lot of them are very successful. They would say that they have achieved success, but sometimes they are also very stressed by the fact yeah. that there's only 24 hours in a day. We can't make it 28. There's 24 hours in the day and all along those lines. And they sometimes feel that there isn't enough uh, time to do what they want to do. And then they get stressed. And there's that whole notion of uh, the inner critic and the outer critic 
as well. I don't care what you're doing in the creative or the entrepreneurial space. We all face that. So, Dr. Hossoff, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts as to how mindfulness has helped in that uh, area and some of the lessons that you have learned and maybe even some of your pillars for success for those that are trying to find success in their personal and business lanes. Yeah, that was kind of my story. I was really successful and very stressed and not very healthy and uh, started with yoga and then found meditation and, and uh, other mindfulness practice. But, you know, we have some 6,000 thoughts a day. And my experience is that stress relies not in what happens, but in how, what we think about it. You know, we get so stressed about conditions that we can't control from the stock market to the weather to the, you know, general politics and, and things like that, that if we if we can start uh just starting to recognize that that the thoughts we have about things and separate ourselves a little bit so that we can make some choices that aren't just driven by thought and culture right yeah. we want to get in our culture is just i mean from 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 uh diet to ethics to you know all the different topics it's our culture has really driven us to just a more 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 society and I don't think there's anything wrong with more, but we need to somehow be present and have some happiness and, and that along the journey. And I really think that's where some of these decisions can start to come out to say, hey, we need to think about what we're doing to our bodies and to the planet and to our kids and, and those kind of things, because just 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 this game business business. Yeah. Uh -oh. Well, you know, we, we're, we're all adults, right? But, but how can we... I'm never growing up, Joey. Well, but never. <laughs> I understand that, and I feel that way, too. I still feel like a kid. But how are we going to teach the children these principles of integrity and good diet and health and, and, and stress? I mean, we all want there to be eight days a week, if I could quote the Beatles, right? They wanted eight days a week. But, um, but you know, we just don't have that. And, and you need to, you need, we need, we all need to take our lives, our lives one moment at a time. I don't know how you teach that to someone. Yeah, I, do uh, well, I do yoga too, Dr. Eric. <laughs> it helps. Yeah, we've got to verbalize it. And again, a lot of the problem here since education came up, is we've rendered unto Caesar this notion of education of our children and losing parental rights in the process. You are responsible ultimately for the education of your children and being responsible to know what's going on in those classrooms if you can't homeschool. But I'd like to ask the two doctors their thoughts because I'm co-host of Savage Unfiltered and we had uh, doctors on, and they usually agree with the everything in moderation. But the trouble is people's addictive personalities and instant gratification desires. We're so spoiled in this country now. They want everything now, yesterday, and for free, and, even, and an inability to even remotely resist temptations or cravings. Moderation, right? Well, we know that processed foods are more deadly than cigarettes. So processed foods cripple cell function in eight ways. And it's why they're connected to so many different diseases. 
So if you are not going to say cigarettes in moderation, you cannot say processed foods in moderation. But the thing about the cravings and the temptation is this is by this time a deeply seeded addiction. It starts in childhood. It involves a lot of different substances. It affects all four of the major addiction pathways in the brain. And we're being provoked all the time or manipulated by neurologists, uh, scientists who work for the food industry. So it's not fair to say, oh, somebody's choosing their cravings because the choice part of the brain is shut down when you have been given an addiction. So what we found over these, uh, I've been in this field now for 27 years, is that it requires the same kind of approach as anyone with intense cravings, whether those cravings are for cocaine or alcohol, you've got to address the cravings by protecting that person against manipulation, provocation, stimulation, signaling, reminding that, that we're blanketed with. So we have an online community, which we broadcast 15 to 17 hours a day, and we are able to protect people from that, that triggering that the food industry is so good at doing. And until you have that, it's not fair to judge an individual. Oh, they don't have enough willpower. No, without their knowledge or agreement, they've been given severe cravings, which override rational thought and it's not their fault. But now let's talk about the role of the doctors. They're profiting and, and it's not the doctor's fault either. They're trained in pharmaceuticals. That's their training. Once you get that, if you're going to a doctor, you're gonna be treated with pharmaceuticals. But there's another, gosh, you know, hundreds of modalities out there, a diet, meditation, what Dr. Eric's talking about, that work to create terrific health and that are not pharmaceuticals or surgery. So you've got two industries kind of working together to maintain this, this ill health. The medical industry said, no, 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 just get a pharmaceutical, just get surgery. And then the food industry just saying, oh, it's not our fault, it's the individual's responsibility. There's a lot of delusion going on about out there about what's going on. Well, I have a story for Dr. Joan. Um, thank you for t telling me that the tobacco industry had taken over fast food. That is a real revelation for me because I mm -hmm. have a history with the tobacco industry. Mm. I uh, worked for a very large insurance company back in the 80s, and we were putting out health literature. Like if you're pregnant, please don't smoke, stuff right. like that that right. everybody right. should agree with. Right. We were told that we had to remove every reference to smoking from our health literature. A lot of it came from Chicago, we were, but we were doing a lot of it locally in Virginia. They waived their uh, multi-million dollar health care contract in front of our noses. There was no modesty about it. or <laughs> It was pretty clear that they were going to leave us and go to some other company for their health insurance if wow. we didn't get rid of all the uh, negative references to smoking. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. And uh, yeah. about integrity, it's gone. Yeah. It's just well, gone. Well, speaking of integrity and all along those lines, there are a couple of things, and both of these are too. Uh, 
Mrs. Ann and everything, but one thing is, uh, and I don't know that I mentioned on the other show that uh, Joan and um, Joni were on and everything, but my mom actually ran one of the largest tobacco settlement uh, companies in uh, for a while. She was actually the first president of the Golden Leaf Foundation. So, you know, the history of North Carolina, my mother was actually the first president of that. And that part of that was to take some of that tobacco settlement money and get people into other careers into other fields, whether that was uh, soy or whether that was uh, businesses that might be of interest to people that would uh, get them in a different economic space other than growing tobacco and all along those lines. So she was, like I said, the first president. And they had a number of uh, that were allowed to be addressed in that space and everything. But one of the things I was curious to hear your thoughts about, Suzanne, since you are a historian, is there is this notion of what I call the all-star version of history. And it kind of alludes to what Joseph would talk about, which is that you study civil rights, everybody knows um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, I would argue to some degree, Marcus Garvey and W.E.B. Du Bois, and maybe Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman. There were a lot of other figures in the civil rights struggle and all in that space. So I think that we sometimes get caught up in the uh, hero aspect of things. So just wondering your thoughts, because there are so many unsung heroes that we don't get taught and that is part of what and i don't know that i thoroughly agree with what you said and that we're allowed to have disagreements even at a digital party and everything about what you're saying about crt and yes crt has some flaws but i my understanding of crt is that it is about teaching some of that history that isn't taught and everything so i would love to hear your thoughts about this notion of maybe we're spending too much time on the heroes and we can even go to the constitution. I mean, how, who knows about this godfather that you're talking about? We all know about Jefferson and Washington. They got tons of schools named after them, but we don't necessarily know those unsung heroes, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yes. Well, uh, the unsung heroes are the ones that are, you know, behind some of the, uh, those who are uh, more famous for sure. Uh, the, the issue with George Wythe was that he never ran for uh, president or uh, for a national office because at the time, Virginia was the largest and most powerful state in the country. And if you were a judge in Virginia, he could have been a, probably a chief justice of the Supreme Court and would have done a good job. But at the time, Virginia uh, was more important than, than the young nation, which was just getting started and there were just new offices there. But... Um, yeah, uh, unsung heroes. There are a lot of them, and that's why I wanted to write the book about him called Jefferson's Godfather, uh, because I think he gave Jefferson a lot of the ideas that Jefferson took full credit for. Um, I, and I have a chapter on uh, the, America's first reli uh, religious freedom law, and I kind of proved that, that George Wythe's mind was clearly behind that one. Uh, he did write that law. It, and he wrote beautifully. He was a better writer than with, but he got the ideas from his teacher. Yeah, um, Suzanne, his, I got an idea for your second edition. Since everything's shock and awe now, right? You've got to have an angle. You've got to uh, have a hook. Retitle the book to Jefferson Plagiarized His Grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> That might be an interesting title for sure. <laughs> we could go for that new title since that's definitely shocking all and all along those lines. But as you were thinking about that, I was thinking about the religious freedom because a lot of times we think of the United States as being a Judeo-Christian nation, but there are a lot of various nations and various uh, 
nationalities and also various religions that exist here in the United States. So where do you think that our founding fathers would be in the sense of Judeo-Christianity being the basis of our constitution and a number of other things? Because we have so many different religions. I had a guest on who goes on our new show yesterday and they were talking about how there might be just in the United States alone, like 160 right. religions and all in that space. But where do you think that they would be if there are some that are very focus on whatever their religion is. Right, well, under with tutelage as a law student, um, Jefferson ordered a copy of the Koran mm -hmm. and he wanted to study Muslim law as well as uh, Roman law, Greek law, English law. And um, Jefferson um, was very much opposed to uh, a national religion for America. Um, that was the case in, in Europe. He did not want us to be corrupted. Religion was very corrupted in Europe at his time and for many centuries before that time and to some extent still today. Um, power corrupts absolutely. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, he wanted freedom of religion, uh, but he did not want um, religious people to impose their viewpoints on other people. Everyone was free to have their own idea of God. And he he was accused of being um, um, agnostic or atheistic, but but really he was, um, uh, he honored Jesus Christ. And uh, he wrote um, his own version of the, of the Bible, the four gospels. It's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. And he just stuck with he took out all the miracles and stuff that he thought were extraneous and just uh, stuck with, um, with the prince, the good principles of Jesus. And, um, and that was published and it's still on Amazon. You, anybody can buy a copy now. It's just yeah. straight, straight but, teachings of Jesus. But one does not have to be religious or faithful, right? It's freedom of religion. It's also not freedom from religion, but you have every right to be an atheist. I like to bring up Penn of Penn and Teller, you know, the Vegas magi magicians, famous atheist. Uh, but he still understands the morality of the Ten Commandments, a separate and a side, right? I don't murder you, you don't murder me. That's just common sense, common goals polite good society i don't steal your stuff stay the hell away from my stuff this but, is you don't need joseph, there was a for that no joseph there was a piece i can't remember whether it was ted koppel or peter jennings and it was actually almost a decade ago but i remember my dad when i was living at a certain house called me over to watch this particular news piece and that is actually the argument that was being made it was like an analysis of the world religions and what they found is that of the core religions, whether that is Islam, whether that is um, Christianity, whether that is Judaism, whether that is Hindu or Buddhism and everything, the core principles were basically the same, which is love and respect your neighbor, uh, honor your family, your mother and father and everything. And that was the core of what was being discovered was that the 
basic matches was the same. Now, there are extremes on all religions, whether that's in Christianity or whether that's in Islam or a number of other things. And that is where I think we get lost is the extremes uh, make so much noise that they are the ones that are heard the loudest and aren't necessarily looking at the common ground and all in that space. But that's just kind of my thought and everything. I was going to take a brief break because I did want to have folks get a chance to check out the amazing sounds of Joni. So I wasn't going to leave Joni out and all along those lines. So I definitely wanted folks to hear some of the music from Joni. So we have this five-minute song from Joni that I'm ready to let folks hear, and then we can get back into some more discussions. we got about another hour to go and all of that, but definitely I wanted folks to hear the amazing music of Joni. So we're going to take a musical interlude right about now. So let's check out the music of Joni. Accidental melody, fascinating symphony, a mystery that was meant to be, accidental melody, hiding right in front of me, a mere reflection of a dream. Hi, this is Joni Pilato. I'm a singer and songwriter from Chicago. My new CD is Accidental Melody, coming soon from Southport Records. I co-produced the album with guitar virtuoso Farid Haq, my good friend. I hope you enjoy the music. The grocery list, the last time kissed, the church bells wouldn't ring. The sparrow proud did take a bow. Remembering to sing The daffodils would bend With the slightest breeze Chicago winters dared to freeze And suddenly you asked me Please, where do we go In the middle of life What do we do in the middle of life You know, but do we know? 
You think you know, you think you know, oh When will we know? Surrender to temptation as you conquer your own creation. Surrender to life every day, every day. Surrender with abandon, inhibition. Joseph and Suzanne, and I'll even put myself in that list as well. It came out in May, so we've all got to rush out and get a copy of Joni's album so we can add to her collection of folks that are buying this on a regular basis and all in that space. So we've got to go out and get a copy and all along those lines. But I was definitely oh, enjoying the sound. You know, I can't resist the pun since I mentioned the Joni Love Chachi thing in the green room. You've got to call an album. No, this Joni didn't marry Chachi. <laughs> you know that's on my list. It's on my list. Lucas. <clears throat> That'll be the next one with the polka songs. Yeah. <laughs> the polka songs and everything. Hey, Suzanne, you mentioned earlier getting back to a serious topic about I, the I, notion I, of. Uh, I just wanted. I just wanted to say thank you for for playing my music and and um, I wanted to mention that uh, you know the the privilege. <laughs> of being an artist is to be able to observe what's going on around you and comment about it and and present it to the world and try to get people to think about things in a different way and and to relax and enjoy the music and Joseph to have fun, right? Yep. Well, Johnny, I dance to music. Uh, that's my exercise program now. I get bored with, you know, the usual Traditional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I improvise and I, I work up, you know, some good cardiovascular activity there. Actually, that's, that's a callback to what I said earlier regarding polka music. Yeah. I mean, people who aren't Polish or German 
absolutely love to go to Polish or German festivals and hoot and holler and prance around. Whether you officially know how to polka or not, whatever. You just get out there, move around, have some fun. Yes, good exercise, good cardio, and better than vegging on your couch all the darn time, right? But just Music you know, is British... one of those healing modalities outside of Western medicine that people don't pay enough attention to. No, I agree with you. And Joseph, along those same lines and everything, one of the greatest inventions as one that came up in the disco era and as one that admits to having two left feet and everything that was invented was the strobe light. Because the strobe light can make anybody that is a horrible dancer yeah. really good. Because in that strobe light, it doesn't matter. It makes you look like an amazing <laughs> dancer. So I think the strobe light was a great invention in that line. Yeah. And it everything. can make anybody's Bad robot moves look fantastic, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Suzanne, uh, just coming back to the serious topic just for a minute, you had mentioned earlier about um, Jefferson and being one of the only Constitution founders that was actually murdered. And I don't think that I'd ever remember hearing that before and everything. So you can maybe talk a little bit about uh, that. George, George Wythe yes. was the only center of... He has a dubious distinction of being the only signer of the Declaration of Independence to be murdered. And uh, it had to do with his being an, uh, first an abolitionist and a humanitarian. Um, he um, freed his slaves and uh, paid them wages. And so some of them uh, lived with him. When he moved from Williamsburg to Richmond, they moved with him and they lived with him in his house. His housekeeper took care of him. And then there was a young man of color. And um, so uh, George Wythe didn't have any children from his two marriages. And so they were his family. And so he included them in his will. He had a very bad nephew who was named after him, a great nephew. His name was George Wythe Sweeney. And um, none of his great uncle's uh, good qualities ever rubbed off on him. <laughs> he um, was a gambler and an alcoholic. And he began stealing from his uncle. And um, so his uncle reprimanded him and said that he would not be in the will if he continued doing that. He was stealing some of his books and so on and forging checks. Anyway, so um, the young man got his will and saw that there were some people of color in there who were scheduled to get part of his uh, estate. If he outlived them, uh, he would get their portion. So one morning in May, 1806, he poured arsenic in the morning coffee. And um, the arsenic killed a young boy who, uh, of color that Wythe was teaching. Could have been his son, I'm not quite sure, but he was very fond, fond of the boy. And um, who was said to have a lot of the mannerisms of George Wythe. And then the housekeeper drank it and it kind of damaged her eyes. And then with eventually in another week or two died of the arsenic poisoning. But before he died, he said, I'm, I am murdered. I want an autopsy. So um, the doctors in 1806 didn't know how to do a good autopsy. They botched it. They called it any number of other things. Also, the eyewitness to the arsenic being poured in the coffee uh, was a woman of color. No person of color could testify against a white person in court. So he was, uh, Sweeney was acquitted. He was uh, charged with, with forgery and so on, but he was acquitted of the murder. 
And um, then he went off to Tennessee and became a horse thief or something. Nobody ever heard of him again. But um, so that was a, an unusual story, but it was all due to George With's um, loving, you know, the people of color who had become his family and wanting to take care of them in his estate. Hmm. So. Well, I know Johnny's got a bounce in there. With me. Yeah, I just wanted to say goodbye to everyone. I, I've got to run, but this has been wonderful to meet everyone. And what, what great conversations you always have, Mark, at your dinner parties. Well, well, have I'd love to get together with everyone in person one time. Wouldn't that be great? That would be great. We'd love to make that. I want to know what's being served for dinner, though. When can I get that, my that, dinner? Collaborate on that menu. We'll have to give a menu going and everything. Tony, before you leave, one of the things I get everybody to do is give a message of positivity and hope. And also, if you could tell folks how you can be reached and how folks can oh. get the CD and uh, the uh um, new release and all of that space. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Mark. Yes. Um, everyone can just go to our website, which is Southport Records. The actual website is chicagosound.com. All one word. I'll put it in the, uh, on the, on the chat here, but, um, all of the records are on the website, all 154 records that we produced, including all of mine. And all the links go directly to Amazon. So it's very easy to just click on that and order. And thank you so much. I love that. I'll put my website right here. Appreciate thank you, Mark. It and everything along. Definitely we put it up as well. And I see that Joe's um, co-host <laughs> is putting out some messages as well. So glad, glad that he was joining the conversation as well. Um, Joseph, tell us a little bit about uh, the notion of getting everybody published because you definitely have that book about how you can write your own book and all along those lines and if you want to share a little bit about your own journey as a thriller writer because definitely you have an amazing thriller and who knows maybe you could get some ideas of a thriller from some of suzanne's history and all along those lines but i'd love to hear yeah. about your current thriller. well terror strikes coming soon to a city near you became my first internationally available book and it's historical fiction She'll appreciate that <laughs> and uh, deals with the founding and all that, of, uh, of course, uh, because you've got to understand a lot of things. And it also lends credibility to the fictional aspects of the book, or as I call it, faction, part fact, part fiction. So it blends all together. And you think terror strikes coming soon to a city near you. Uh, I'm turning my back to you temporarily here, trying to grab something. Where did that sheet of paper go? And, oh, I misplaced it. Anyway, because I'm getting older, my memory isn't what it once was. But yes, it's about terrorism. We follow Martin, a Detroit newspaper guy, but this is not just U.S.-centric. It's international in scope. There's a London, a London, England, Madrid, Spain, Tokyo, Japan chapters. So we follow Martin, a Detroit newspaper man who decides to write a book on terrorism. All right. So you've got a book within a book. And I done something as a former IT guy. No one else on the planet's ever done. There's also a blog within a book. But it's not about death but life and living. The terrorism thread is just what him writing the book ties it all together as we follow him and his thoughts, his family, right? Life over death, 
hope over fear, faith over despair, individualism over collectivism, the historical uh, foundations of the nation aspect of the book. But I've, I'm the holder of more than three dozen copyrights. These are just my first currently only available international books. But yeah, I went on a lot of shows and they'd say, will you come back and talk about writing and publishing? So I went to Amazon after a dozen of them and said, uh, there's a bazillion books, how to put your book on Amazon, right? Using KDP. Well, that's not what people are asking. So in how to write a book and get it published, hints, tips, and techniques, I take you from initial concept through writing, their scene development, scene development and character development in it, publishing options, what is, what is available, what is realistic for you, post-publication, marketing, publishing, promotion, what to expect out of reviews. If you've got thin skin, you got to grow a thicker skin. Not everybody's going to like your stuff. Right. So also, though, if you're not interested in writing and publishing your own book, think of it as a tell all without a lot of name dropping. Right. A behind the scenes book of. Yeah. <laughs> Michael's teasing me about rambling again, needing to put a comma and a period in there somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what does an author go through to get to you those books you have on your bookshelf as your favorite books. So it's meant for everybody, for the avid reader to see behind the scenes what happens in publishing and writing, authorship, as well as those who, I don't know where to start or I started writing a book and I'm kind of stuck. This helps you with that. Makes a lot of sense and everything. Um, both you and Dr. Joan are authors and everything. And I know that everybody, I can't remember if Suzanne is as well. I think she is, but definitely she is along those lines and all in that space. Everybody seems to think that everybody has a book in them and all in that space. In some cases, you might even have five or six books. So are we all authors? And what advice would you give to other authors? And this is for all three of you, the people that are sitting in their house listening to us here on Pod TV, going like, Hey, wait a minute, I've got a great book. My book is should be out there along with Dr. Joan and Suzanne and Joseph and everything. So what advice would you give to them to get them off of their duff and to actually get that book? Because that is something that I've heard teachers say forever that we all have at least one novel in us. Here's here's the, the most important tool for that I think in writing a book. It is the almighty index card. <laughs> you have a pile of these with you. And I want uh, people who have recovered from processed foods to write their stories. Mm -hmm. I'm very, uh, of course, I've written a big textbook for the field. This was a three-year project. I worked on this full-time for three years. Processed Food Addiction Foundations Assessment and Recovery. Full time, full time for a writer, I think. I don't know if Suzanne and Joe would uh, agree. It's about six hours a day. That's all that I could write. Well, everybody's motivations and processes are different. And that I go into that too, and how to write a book and get it published. Even seasoned authors like you, Dr. Joan, 
could probably get something out of this. You're talking well, about index cards. Well, you just cards. send me the link. <laughs> yeah, index cards. Oh, that's so old school. Nowadays, you just pull out your smartphone and dictate, and dictate. to your phone. <laughs> I think so you're really on to something. You're not that technologically savvy. The thing about putting it on um, index cards. So people who are recovering from processed foods, they're often just shocked. You know, this thing goes away. That thing goes away. Their head's clear. They think they're getting old, but in fact, they're just being altered by processed foods. The diabetes goes away. The heart disease markers goes, go away. The skin problems go away. The gut problems go away. The joint problems, the pain stops. And if you just have, if you go through this process, I remember I went through it in January, starting in January, 1996, 27 years ago. I wrote a popular book, but I, as I noticed something in that moment, I wrote it down on an index card. But the reason why I like the index cards is because they are sortable. You can sort them. So here's my pile about my diabetes going into full remission. Here's my pile about my relationships approving because I'm not tired and depressed and irritable all day. Here's my pile about, uh, how the medical community responded. Oh no, that's not possible. Well, I don't know what you did and I'm not really interested, but good luck. You, know, you don't have diabetes anymore. So you can sort. And then when you've got your pile, those are your chapter piles, then you can just put them in order and get, and now, now Joseph, now you can start dictating. Yeah, no, you're right. I go into that in the book because yes, you may envision something in your book and you want to get your thoughts down. I go into doing an outline uh, mm -hmm. in Word. Eventually, mm -hmm. to get it published, you need a Microsoft Word 97-2000 era document saved. That's how most publishers are going to want it and for easy editing. And yeah, you want a good outline. And I, and rather than cards, I say you put it all in your outline because then yes, then you it's, move it's, it around in there. Then but make if you do it in check. cards, you can lay it out on your whole dining room table and get the whole thing. If you're doing it page by page, it's like, okay, did I already cover that on page 27 or is it on page 122? If you've got it on physical cards, you move yeah. it around. Well, the same thing I want. Physical or an outline page, either works. But again, everyone has people. their own process and what's best for them. Absolutely stick the with it. The other thing that I really think is important is for people to know your story is important. Your story could literally save somebody else's life because people are isolated with their processed food problems. They, they believe the media and the, the health industry when the, the, they're told that it's your fault, there's something wrong with you, you don't have enough willpower, you're not conquering this. And they tend to isolate. But guess what? In all the years when pe that people have been telling me their stories, it's the same stories over and over again. If you, if you can just get your story, how do you feel in this moment? down into a document, you could literally save somebody else's life because they read your story and then they say, oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, well, maybe I could get help. 
maybe I could uh, overcome. Oh, this is an addiction. I thought it was just I don't I don't have willpower. So I'm with you, Joseph. Write your stories. Your stories are important. Oh, absolutely. Suzanne, what is your thoughts about that as well? And like I said, we got about another 15 or 20 minutes, but what are your thoughts about that? And what made you decide to write your own story? Suzanne. I write diff different um, different kinds of books. I'm getting ready to publish a book of poetry, but I don't call them poems because nobody reads poetry anymore. I call them reflections, and it's a journal. It's called Of Loss and Love, and it mm -hmm. started with um, the death of my husband 10 years ago. And uh, and so in writing that, uh, I have thought a lot about the writing of that book. I write, when I write a, a history book, I'm writing facts, but I'm also writing, going on inspiration. Mm -hmm. If I get a good thought in the middle of the night, I'm going to get up and I'm going to write that thought down because it will be gone in the morning. Yeah. And um, if I get a thought for a proposal or for anything important, I write it down immediately because it'll be gone. So I've looked back over my poems or my reflections that I hope to publish this year. And I, I think I could never write those now. You know, I don't have the same feelings now. That raw hurt, the grief that I felt the first day of spring, um, getting rid of clothing that belonged to, you know, loved one, things like that. And then getting back to your other guest who left, he was into mindfulness. We didn't really talk much about that. But um, I wrote some reflections about the five senses, you know, that we really need to enjoy our five senses a lot more than we do. And I wrote a poem about a reflection about each one. And, um, and then it has a happy ending because I did meet my current husband. So it's like a little journal. Yeah. Anyway, so that's very different from the other books that I write. I write straight history. I write metaphysical history. Um, I think that I'm, in all modesty, I think I'm a pioneer in a new genre, and that's medical metaphysical history. Would you would you tell us Would you tell us what that is? Metaphysical. Yeah, that's what you're asking. What is metaphysical history? What is it? Well, it's it's a term that came to me kind of in an inspiration from the other side anyway um so after my husband died i went on a real spiritual journey to find out about the evolution of human consciousness you can call it soul if you want to but i like to use the technical terms what happens to us when we lose our bodies and um so i didn't go to religion i already knew what religion had to say and so i, I became just a real follower of the near-death experience books. And so when they changed my whole outlook about uh, the way things are organized and God and so on. And then I got into other life between lives and reincarnation and all that. But then um, I ran into a medium, an amateur medium at a, uh, at a writing retreat. And she had written this book with a real cute title. It was, um, friends from above. It was friends in high places. So I said, well, Katie, um, you're a medium. I said, do you think you can access my late husband? And um, she said, yeah, just give me his name. And she went in her room and uh, she came back um, half hour later, described him perfectly with message messages for me. Oh. So after that, um, I heard another, uh, I got in into sort of that and I found a trusted medium who'd had a book written about her that was very well received and uh, so I 
became comfortable talking with my departed loved ones. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to prove that I'm not crazy, I got my real smart friends in on it too. They've talked with their loved ones as well and felt that they had mm -hmm. genuine connections. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, half the people I tell this to think I'm nuts, but anyway, I don't care. But um, anyway, so then the thought occurred to me, this is during COVID, if I could talk to regular people through a medium, why not somebody famous? Why not Thomas Jefferson? Was he too busy or, you know, too important to spend time with me? I, I didn't know, really. And um, so I thought, so during the sessions with a medium, she would say, your, your guides on the other side are telling me something about you, that you were being featured as a metaphysical historian a scribe, you're writing down some very important things, and you've done this in your previous lives. Ah, anyway, now I know you you think I'm nuts, but no, that's... No. Yeah. So anyway, so I wrote down metaphysical historian. I said, what does that mean anyway? And I just put it aside. But then later on, I thought, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could interview Thomas Jefferson. So I did, and I have a book on Amazon called uh, The Metaphysical Thomas Jefferson. Mm. Oops. Wow. Wow. And it's got some good reviews. And then I was dancing to uh, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, you know, doing my exercises to that. And I thought, well, I wonder if Leonard's got some things to tell us. So I accessed Leonard, and that's my next book. Wow. Uh, You're writing a book about me? Sorry, well, again. Well, I'm trying to write books about, well, as the spirit moves me, I'm not going to write about just anybody. You know, they say, well, why don't you write about Abraham Lincoln? Well, I, I know about him and, and I honor him, but uh, I'm done with the Civil War. I don't want to talk about that. But I always interview the people um, about their current perspectives uh, from where they are now and how their ideas have changed from the ideas they had in during their lifetimes. Yeah, Suzanne, mm -hmm. what is one of the most, well, two things. One is there, you mentioned Leonard uh, Cohen and everything as being the next one that you're interviewing, but are there any other folks that you have in your mind that you are thinking that you want to interview next from the other side? And what is some of the most uh, unique answers you have gotten during those interviews? Well, uh, when I was in France recently and I visited the mental hospital where Van Gogh spent his last year, and it was a fairly, it was kind of borderline spiritual experience. And I thought, well, I bet Van Gogh has got some things to tell us about his mental illness and, you know, how things are different from there and where he is now. And then last night I got the idea of Steve Jobs mm. because uh, he's interesting. And also, right as he was dying, I think most people know this, he said, oh, wow, oh, wow. Oh, wow. He was having a vision mm -hmm. as he transitioned. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to ask him about that. That would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. That would be really. I love, used to love watching that show. Remember the old uh, Arquette series, Medium, mm -hmm. uh, that was on TV uh, about she, was she detective-ish or whatever. But that, that was great. I, I love them. There are, of course some real people who are gifted, that have a talent, that have an access to other realms, 99.9 .9 ad infamous of us don't have. 
And of course, there's a lot of fake frauds and phonies out there too. So it as that would be, Steve Jobs is still relevant. They would mm -hmm. love to hear that hopeful spiritual aspect of his ending there. But yes, definitely you need to ask him now with all this AI stuff going on, his thoughts, right? And yeah. my apologies, uh, Suzanne, uh, very serious thoughts you were giving there. You said Leonard Cohen, I said you're writing a book about, I shouldn't have interjected such a lame pun at that point, my apologies. No problem at all and everything. And Suzanne, along those same lines and everything, and like I said, I was just curious a uh, couple of things. One, when you, and I definitely want folks to get the book just like I want folks to get uh, Joni's CD and everything, but is there a particular lesson that you think folks will get from the interview that you had with uh, Mr. Jefferson from the other side and all along those lines that you think folks should pay close attention to when they read the book? Who's that? Well, he wants, he said the one thing he craves on this planet is, uh, is critical thinking. You know, mm -hmm. we're swallowing, you know, whatever news channel we prefer to listen to. And as we all know, some of them are really quite slanted. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of my friends. All listen. that fits our feelings, our bubble, our delusion. People, <coughs> what uh, confirmational bias. People are looking for confirmational bias, not truth or facts or evidence anymore. Right. Hey, just really quickly, um, Leonard said something that I don't know that I necessarily agree with, but I'd love to hear your thoughts, Suzanne, and if uh, you want to jump in, Joni, as well. But I actually think that we all have those kind of powers that you are talking about in the sense of the uh, greater use of our brains, ESP, metaphysics and a number of other things. I just don't think that we tap into it as much as we should, because I think a lot of it comes to us, like you were saying, in our dreams and in our regular life. I try to pay attention to what's going on in Mother Nature and everything. One of the things that I've talked about even on this online dinner party and other shows in the past is I literally remember, and this was some 20 odd years ago when 9-11 happened, a lot of my friends noticed that the animals almost seemed to have, they got a sense that something crazy was going to go on and they noticed that there was a disappearance of the animals and I would argue that that even happened during the pandemic so they were like getting the feeling humans are about to be stupid so let's go into hiding for a minute and everything right. and they would come out after they've done their craziness and I have brought that up to a number of friends of mine in big cities including some of the cities that were attacked like New York and DC and they were like and when I brought it up, they were like, yeah, you're right. I don't remember seeing any birds and squirrels. And we do know that there can be an abundance of birds and an abundance of squirrels in those cities and even some of the vermin. But they did notice that a lot of those seem to have vanished, almost as if they got a cosmic message that humans were about to be a little bit on the uh, wonky side and that they might want to go into hiding for a minute and all in that space. But I was wondering how you were thinking that you were off the deep end. I think that I sometimes have some interesting thoughts as well. So Suzanne. Do you we have great capabilities that we're, we're not utilizing. Um, and, and my medium friend uh, said, well, you could do this. I could train you to do this. And I said, well, you know, I got other fish to fry and it takes a long time to get good at it. I'd rather go use you, <laughs> you know, because you're the expert. Uh, but I honor people who, who, who are true to their gifts. And these people have had to hide their gifts all these centuries. They were burned as witches, mm -hmm. a lot of them. 
And now, you know, we're beginning to honor people who have unusual paranormal, what we call paranormal gifts. Yep. And Joseph, you were mentioning astral projection. My cousin is actually, and I have the pleasure of interviewing him on my other show that I do on the network, on the radio show with Mark Lee on Monday and everything. But he is actually the COO of a company that is literally doing warp technology. So he told me that in about 10 or 15 years, we may, may actually be getting warp speed. So I might be able to come and visit you there in Michigan, literally in a matter of a minute. So they said in some of these bubbles are actually taking place right now and the research is going on. So he was hired by the gentleman that is the founder of this company. And it does look like it is the possibility of reality, but it's not going to be like tomorrow. So even they yeah. said it's not going to be tomorrow. It's going to be a matter of time. But maybe as I'm about to turn 61, they said, maybe by the time you're 75, we'll be able to do it yeah. and all along those lines. I need to rephrase something I said. You know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. Sometimes words don't come out right. I agree with you, Mark, that I think humanity as a whole has these abilities within us if you're able to tap them. But over time, we have become so caught up in other things, most people aren't able or not even care to tap into them. Now, we have a, a history in our family of paranormal abilities. And like I said, remote viewing or astral projection as a younger person, I was able to engage in. Like, you know, having as a child and having only a two, three block radius as, you know, as children usually do, you don't go past a certain point. But at night I was able to visit places I'd not been, never seen, were outside my circumference, my radius of ability to reach. And then of course, later in life, it not, you know, sometimes it's just simple deja vu thoughts, right? But no, premonition abilities too. When my grandfather died, I was at work. I felt it. I knew it. I called my mother. She called the hospital. And yes, he had just passed. They didn't even have time to call. So mm -hmm. I, we, our family has had that connectivity to those extrasensory perceptions. But yeah, as a child, I would visit other places. And later in life, know those places when I got there, because I'd been there. Mm -hmm. No, I've definitely had that experience. I remember when I went to a journalism camp when I was a teenager, and literally it was a camp of minority folks that were interested in that field of journalism, literally around the corner from where I'm at, because I'm literally near Duke's campus now, but this was at UNC's campus. And I can tell you that when I went in that space and there was roughly, let's say eight to 10 of us, I don't remember the exact amount I could do the math and figure it out and everything but before as soon as I got in that room I already knew all of those individuals because I had had a dream or a vision of that space where I had already been in that space before I even got there to that dorm where we were staying at and everything but as we were going there literally walking into the room and like you were talking about I was like I've been here before and I don't know any folks from anybody but I already knew that I had had that experience and I've even had that experience in other spaces as well. As a matter of fact, y'all heard me earlier say that in about 20 minutes, I'm about to run off to go to my uh, job at a cultural center. And that is in a 
historical church. It was a church that was in the African-American community that had been converted to a performing arts space. So you can only imagine what kind of ghosts and other spirits are in that space. So I know that everybody that has worked there has talked about literally after they have left, the audience has gone, the meetings, because there's also a meeting space as well, have left that I can't think of a coworker there that has not heard dance steps from some of the past people or heard footsteps or a number of other things because this building was built in like 1865. So it was built yeah. around the time mm-hmm. of Jefferson and all in that space. So who knows how many spirits are walking around yeah. in that space, but it is definitely a building that is uh, got some ghostly presence. And I would say that it is one of several that are here in the Durham, North Carolina area. Yeah, I don't know how or why. I've been on about a half dozen paranormal shows. I wish I could get on more. Uh, I, I love talking about this stuff. I had encounters, didn't know it at the time. We figured it out later in life with my great grandfather in my parents' basement. You know, it wasn't threatening or anything, but he was there wearing the bowler cap. And it wasn't until decades later that we saw those old photos. I said, that's who was in the basement. Now, he would have had nothing to do with my parent, my mother, from my, you know, from my mother's side, great-grandfather. Why he would land up there in that basement, a property he's certainly never been to, his, his granddaughter that he never met, I don't know, but... I mean, it was there. Uh, Orbs. Uh, We have a fort, old Fort Wayne in Wayne County, Detroit area, uh, that's haunted. And we've gone on ghost huntings there. And indeed, in the armory, which is buried, buried under mounds of dirt, the doors seal. Nothing gets in unless you let it in. And Orbs are flying around in there. These aren't tricks of light or anything. No one has a camera rolling. No one has a flashlight. And these are real presences, you know, and it's not everybody gets to experience that. And it's great when you do. No, definitely. No doubt about that. Suzanne, really quick. And like I said, we've got about another five minutes before we wrap everything and all. But as y'all were talking, I was thinking about one of my uh, great inspirations, and I definitely believe in the ancestral collections, is my grandmother. My grandmother actually started the first African-American library in Raleigh, and she literally walked down the road and collected money when at a time that there was segregation in order to create the Richard B. Harrison Library, which is now part of the greater Raleigh library system and does still exist and all in that lines. And she was definitely a mentor. One of the reasons that I love reading and love uh, knowledge and all of that space is my grandmother, Molly. So if one was wanting to interview or be in touch with somebody like that, what would your advice be? And do you think that that would be a great book? Because I don't know anybody has ever done a book on how grandmother Molly literally went down a much still was the capital, I think, even at that time, but went knocking on doors and raised that money. But she is long gone because she passed in the early 80s and all in that space. We're talking some 40 years ago and everything since she's been gone and all along those lines. But do you think that it would be a great story and how would one go about being in touch with somebody like that? And that's only one answer. You can, you can talk to her. Hmm. Um, I'll give you the name of the medium that I work with. Okay. She's very trustworthy. She's very, very good. 
And when uh, she was channeling Leonard Cohen, she had him going. I mean, his his conversation was so different from her channeling of Thomas Jefferson. I mean, it was obvious there were two totally different individuals who were coming through. And he was all jazzed up and he said, oh, holy crap, I wish I'd taken better care of my damn body. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I mean, we don't have the wonders of our modern world and today, like then. So it's easier, really, uh, to Dr. Jones' point, all those other things that are bad, but we have more access to more good things if we choose to partake of them than any time in world history, especially in this greatest, freest, free market capitalist society where uh, I was just on another show. We were talking about customer, you know, new customer expectations and modern marketing and things of that. And uh, another guest brought up Venmo. Uh, Michael Savage dropped off the line because he's at his studio. He made me join Cash App the other day. Now, I'm a free market guy, so it's ironic and rare if you're going to hear me say, too many choices. I don't want to have to belong to a million different cash platforms, right? But it's nice to have those problems. All that's here, all these choices, yet so many whine. I mean, you want to be in bread lines rather than the bread lined up waiting for you? Yeah, a good point and everything. Suzanne, like I said, I'm going to have you all give that last comment that I had. Joni doing everything, and actually the other gentleman had to bounce off because he only had a limited amount of time. So I'm hoping that he will come back and we'll get in more of that mindfulness talk that you were asking about. And we did get into some of that in this particular conversation and all along those lines. And you're all welcome back and everything. But just really quickly before I get to all three of you in the closeout comments and everything, Suzanne, was there anything unique about what you have found out about Leonard, you mentioned what Jefferson learned and educated you about around some of the things that he would like to see different. Is there something about Leonard and even the music lines that he was uh, putting out in his thoughts that folks can expect in that book as well? Leonard had a very unhappy childhood and he never got over it. Hmm. He did not get the love he wanted from his mother and his father died when he was young. I wanted to talk to him because all of his lyrics are so dark. There's not a single one that, that has that's happy. <laughs> you can always find something dark in all of his lyrics. And I read, you know, all of the, the ones, like 50 of, them, of his songs. Anyway, so, yeah, he, we talked about love because that, that's what I, I want to get across, that there's love, you know, af, after we depart, after we leave our bodies. And he confirms that. He, he is enveloped in love there. And he wishes that he had lo- been able to love himself more. Mm-hmm. Uh, self-love. He's encouraging us to love ourselves more. And also, he had a lot to say about Mother Nature and about mm-hmm. what we eat. He had a lot to say about what we eat because he didn't eat well. And he mm-hmm. abused his body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's a chapter on nature there. So this book I hope to get out by the end of the year. It'll be called The Metaphysical Leonard Cohen. But it was totally different from Jefferson. Jefferson was all business. Leonard was more personal and conversational. 
Sounds like it. Sounds like they'll both be amazing. Definitely want folks to get that book and everything. So I'll start with you, Suzanne, and work my way around. But if there are ways that you can be reached and if you have any message of positivity and hope that you would like to share with our global audience, I'm sure they would love to hear that. And then I'll say the same thing to um, Dr. Joanne and Joseph as well, and then we'll get ready to get on out of here so I can run off to that cultural arts center and see what new adventures are going on in that space. But Suzanne, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. I would love to have all three of you as well as the other guests come back in the near future as well. Yes, thank you. Enjoyed it very much. So a couple yeah. times you reach and any message of positivity or hope that you've got as well. Suzanne. Yeah, um, I love this conversation about mental capabilities. Processed foods take away mental capabilities. And often people have been told, especially children, that they're not very bright. But processed foods actually inflame the brain and they shut down parts of the brain and they, they pull the blood supply away from the frontal lobe. And it creates attention deficit processed foods, create learning difficulties, memory loss, difficulty solving problems, and uh, difficulties controlling impulses. So just this, this conversation about mental capabilities and developing mental capabilities, my message of hope is that no matter what you have been told about your brain, you get off of processed foods and off of stressful messaging, because stressful messaging also pulls the blood supply away from the brain. You will be surprised, very happily, pleasantly surprised at what your brain can do. We see it every day in our community. Everybody who works for us, we hire from our community because when those processed foods come out, it's like taking the lid off of creativity and intelligence. So do find us. We have a new community called Remission Optimistic. We're putting a lot of quote unquote incurable diseases into remission. And then our longstanding website, processedfoodaddiction.com. E email us, info at processedfoodaddiction.com. Appreciate it and everything. Definitely appreciate that. Joseph, um, and then I'll get to Suzanne as well. Any uh, message of positivity and hope? And if you can tell folks how you can be reached as well, and then I'll go to yeah. Suzanne. And then we'll get to all here. I, I wish Michael Gardner of Savage Unfiltered were still on the line because we've interviewed a few doctors which you sound exactly like and i would like to drop their names but i don't remember to see if you know them and potentially maybe have you come on savage unfiltered soon uh but yeah mental physical they relate and uh but i forgot where i was going to go now i i I'm at the shipyard and the train left the station, as they say, right? <laughs> but terror strikes coming soon to a city near you. Again, it's not just about terrorism. I go into a lot of different things. Yeah, health is one of them. It's a sub-thing. Mental health, we talked about that. Suicide prevention, uh, PTSD, things of that nature. And you can reach out to me at Joseph M. Leonard. Again, it looks like Leonard. It's Leonard without an O, josephmleonard.us, or terrorstrikes.info. There's a contact tab at either. You can reach out to me there. And I write 
uh, for TheLibertyBeacon.com. Drop a new piece there every Saturday. Or you can find me at Detroit on all the social media, as well as before its news platform. And, uh, yeah, I've tried stalling for that thought to come back, but I'm afraid it's gone. <laughs> no problem, no problem. I appreciate it anyway and everything. You gave a lot of other thoughts during the course of the conversation. Susanna, message of positivity and hope and how you can oh. be... Oh, po yeah, sorry, sorry, Suzanne. Positivity, yes. Terror strikes coming soon to a city near you. I have for decades been saying, remember, things could always be better, but they could often be worse. So I share that philosophy and that important bit of information we all need to remember through my character in the book. That's what that thought was. Yeah, positivity. Remember, we are so spoiled here. Get some perspective. My God, try spending some time on the African or South American continent and rethink about your supposed victimhood here. Remember, could always be better, but could be a lot worse. Sorry, Susan. Go ahead. No, Suzanne, <laughs> everything. If you can share your message of positivity and hope and how you can be reached, and I'll get out of here with a commercial, ironically, from Adobe and all in that space to get us all the way out of here and all in that way. But a message of positivity and hope that you want to share as well and how you can be contacted and all along those lines. Well, I'm going to get totally uh, away from all my previous messages and just say something unusual. Um, in my spiritual journey after uh, my husband died, um, the, the first steps I took were in the uh, learning about the near-death experience uh, studies that have taken place since Dr. Moody's book came out, Life After Life, in 1975. There's been an explosion of research on that subject. I um, always believe that there is a divine intelligence creator, but I always had difficulty thinking that this was a, a, a God of love. And I encourage people to listen to testimonials, just like Dr. Joan. That's an awesome idea, those testimonials. That is going to get you out there, your, your messages. That'll probably get you on the Today Show. You, you, pro you need a publicist. You probably have one, but you really need, you, you've got a great message and it's got to get out there. Anyway, I listened to testimonials of uh, people who died, technically died on the operating table and come back. And their overwhelming message for us is, yes, um, after we go, we are completely enveloped in love. Um, and we are to love on, during our lifetimes. And uh, we're down on this earth. It's a kindergarten for soul growth. And we should grow by loving and being generous and kind. And love is the engine that runs the world, even though <laughs> there are times when we doubt that, but it really is. And um, so I would encourage people to go to uh, all these uh, YouTube. I, I'm on YouTube every night when I can't sleep. I'm listening to Next Level Soul or I'm listening to NDE Radio. All you need to do is type in YouTube near-death experiences, and you'll, you'll really get a buffet of stories, of testimonials, but not by religious people mostly, but a lot of people not religious at all. Anyway, you can get in touch with me. My email is S-U-Z-M-U-N-S-O-N at G-01 at 
gmail.com. And uh, my books are on Amazon, the two I've published so far, Jefferson's Godfather and The Metaphysical Thomas Jefferson, and online Barnes and Noble as well. Well, I appreciate all three of you as well as the other two guests. Look forward to having you both on the other shows in the near future and including the other editions of this. I know that Dr. Jones has been on before as has Joni, but the other three have not. But I definitely hope that y'all will make return trips as well. So like I said, I'm going to give out with a drill down, which is an Adobe commercial and maybe one or two other things in that space. But I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and look forward to having some more in-depth conversations with y'all in the near future and hope that y'all will make return trips as well. So I have thoroughly enjoyed the insight that all of you have given and look forward to getting more insight on return trips here on Pod TV. So we're going to get on out of here, but definitely glad to have this great conversation. Thanks, Mark. Holding up. Nothing wrong with getting help. If I promise to look into it, will you drop it and help me build this fence? <laughs> now you need my help. If you or a veteran you know needs support, don't wait. Reach out. Find resources at va.gov reach.